0: Welcome back to Bad on Paper Podcast. I'm Becca Freeman. And I'm Grace Atwood. And today is book club, but we're doing things a little bit different. This month, we read People We Meet on Vacation by Emily Henry, and we actually have the author joining us. I feel like sometimes it's a little bit harder to talk about romances because... You kind of know where they're going, and there's not the twists and turns that you have in a thriller. So we thought it would be fun to have the author on to talk a little bit more about the behind the scenes of the idea and the characters. And
1: spoiler, we already recorded it, and she was so amazing. She was incredible. She was. We got on, just "Just so you know, I'm really, really tired. And you would never know it listening to her speak. Not at all. So we're excited to get into that. But before we do, we're going to talk about
0: ourselves. Yeah. Becca, what's your high? I have two highs. So the first thing is, um, last weekend, I was in Newport, Rhode Island. It was my friend Elizabeth's 35th birthday. And so we rented a house there and hung out for the weekend. And it was so fun. I got to see all of my friends who live in Boston. And for... uh, No, that's not true. That's a lie. I was going to say, some of them I hadn't seen during the whole pandemic. But I think at this point, I have seen them before. So... I'm a liar. But it was great. And I I hadn't actually been to Newport since I was probably like 10 or 11. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like I hadn't been since I was a kid. So it was also like a kind of new place to me to experience as an adult. And it's very cute. Where did you guys stay? We stayed in a VRBO at the end of Thames Street. Cute. And people keep DMing me and I haven't answered anyone because I don't have any tip so people keep dming me and asking me for recommendations and i don't have any we were a group of 14 (laughs) so literally like we ate at the house two nights and like anywhere we went was dictated by who could seat 14 people so we didn't necessarily like experience the best of newport in terms of restaurants or
1: anything if people have Newport questions. Jess Kirby is based there and has an amazing guide on her blog with like all the best restaurants and stores and things to do.
0: Well, I want to go back. I want to go back on a less ragey weekend with fewer yeah. people to get a better sense of it. But I, it was it was really enjoyable. It's so pretty. So
1: that's my first it's a great time. little town.
0: Yeah. And it was easy. You know, I took the train to Westerly and then took an Uber from there and it was it was easy. So that's my first time. My second high is that We are officially in production on our next project. We've been recording all week, and I am so excited about how it is sounding. I know I'm being the most obnoxious girl with a secret project, and I know that that's annoying, but legally, I I can't tell you yet. But I did just, we were talking yesterday with the network, and I think the announcement is coming in early July, so there will be more news soon. But it's just really exciting. It, It feels big. It's coming out so well like it feels this project feels career changing. So it is weird to know that as I am making it. It is very exciting and it is very scary, but it this this project feels career changing. In a way that our past ones have not. So, so exciting. I'm so excited for
1: you. Uh. What about you? So I had like a midweek trip with Hampton Clothing to St. Simon's Island, um, which is in Georgia. I've never I really heard haven't... of St. Simon's Island. So it's an island, but like, there's a Tibby it's... store there. Like, it is it like, is <laughs> so it like we... Palm Beach is an island where it's like kind of off the mainland, or it truly is just no. like an island? So it's an island, but you drive over a bridge, and it's connected. It's kind of connected also by a bridge to Sea Island, and so oh, it's two are sea kind island. of. They're kind of like. Not it's like down here. There's um, Isle of Palms and Sullivan's Island, which are like right next to each other, and you can get to them via bridge. Okay. So Amy Smilovic, who's the founder, creative director of Tibby, grew up there. So she oh. has a store there, which is essentially an outlet. And her and Stacy Smallwood, who's the founder of Hampton Clothing, are really, really close. So they decided to do this little pop-up shop down there. And then Stacy invited Liz and I down just to kind of, we were like. Are, is your objective to get people to Georgia because we don't have a lot of southern because she's from the Midwest and I'm from New York right right So I was like I was like we don't have a lot of southern readers yet but she just wanted us there to like be talking about Hampton how great Hampton is and also we're all friends so it was like so much fun like Liz is one of my closest friends and earliest friends from blogging, like, back, like, 10 years ago. And Stacy I met on a press trip to Charleston years ago, and she's become a good friend. So it was, like, a work trip, but also just, like, a friend hangout. And we got to hang out with Amy from Tibby, who is the coolest person. Like, for dinner, she took us to her favorite fast food joint, and we had, like, milkshakes and french fries and burgers. And then she took us to her favorite dive bar that, like, she went to, like, when she was in college. And I had, I made the mistake. I guess this could be my low. I made the mistake of ordering white wine at a dive bar. I don't know oh, what that's I was a mistake. thinking. I was just like, I don't want beer and I can't drink any more tequila. I had the worst headache all day oh. yesterday. And I only had one glass of wine too, which is like, I am old. Oh man. But it was really fun. And I just love getting to meet people in the fashion industry who are so like chill and down to earth. Like Stacy has arguably one of the best boutiques in the whole country and she's the most nice kind person ever and Amy was just like that like so down to earth and friendly and humble and also like wickedly smart. That's awesome and I see your low also has to do with this trip. Yeah so I mean the first thing would probably be like I'm not someone who typically takes a day and a half off of work in the middle of the work week I also I got back and we had to leave really early in the morning because I had a like um my whole afternoon was Sephora trainings so now I'm like oh fuck like I was finally in a place with work where I was like caught up and last night I was like up till midnight again getting caught back up so (laughs) I'm just behind but the other funny thing was um I guess it's funny so Liz has this like giant Chevy Tahoe like and it's like pretty new it's like brand new I want to say like, I think they just got it when she moved to Charleston and I was like this is a great car wow it's so big so nice and she's like it's kind of shaking a little bit and I was like huh and then she was like the engine light is on like this is weird and like she kept getting all these like all the like the lights on the dash kept flicking up and so we had to pull over and the car broke down and um, oh no we were, like, pulled, like, in the middle of the con, like, we were, like, in the countryside of South Carolina, like, at this random, I guess it was a gas station grocery type of place, and her husband, like, shout out to Dave Adams, because he drove a different car, their second car, all the way to meet us, which we were, like, an hour and a half away by then, drove the car, came and met us, gave us the car, and then got the uh, that car back to a dealer and got that car fixed and went home
0: oh my like, god what nice
1: guy like he, that is like i just was like liz like you have a really good husband because we were like do we even go on this trip do we just go home and she as a mom was just like so looking forward to this just to have a night like in a hotel like just to herself totally and we just like didn't want to let stacy down so it all worked out but it was just like holy car drama yeah How about you?
0: Um, Mine is, I mean, I guess unexpectedly, because we are in the middle of production on this, work has just been flat out and all consuming this week. But it's been especially low because we didn't necessarily know that we were going to start this week. So it's also been kind of a surprise. So we're like three weeks behind schedule. So we've been trying to lock in the lead actress for this show And we've been in negotiations and I'm so excited. People are going to flip when they hear who it is. But um, we, we got the final go on Monday night and we needed to start recording on Tuesday because the actress is leaving imminently to go shoot another project. So we were like, we need to get at least three days this week. So on Monday night at like seven o'clock. We got the go for Monday or for Tuesday morning. And so like I was at the grocery store and I came home from the grocery store and I like unpacked my groceries. And then I was I was like, oh shit, like we need a recording studio. We need to get the other talent. Like we need to get all, we need to get the call sheet out. We need to get, you know, like we, we'd done a lot of prep, but still like that, the level of needing to get everything together for the next day was very stressful and then we you know we recorded the last three days so I'm I'm like coming up for air slash not a real human today but we're doing it wow that's really aggressive sure is sure is but it's worth it yeah well before we get into this interview two quick things first thing is a reminder that we are actually going to be on hiatus for July we're going to take a summer vacation for ourselves and so we're not going to have a July book club. We're not going to have any July episodes, but we will announce our book club pick for August, both on our Instagram and in the Facebook group. And we'll let you know also the first episode when we're back in August.
1: So we're, we're taking a break and we'll see you in August. Let's take a quick little break to talk about one of our sponsors. And this week's sponsor is Uncommon Goods. So it's like Really hard to even explain what Uncommon Goods is if you've never been to the site. But it is an online shop and it is filled with just the coolest stuff. It's They just have unique, totally unexpected gifts and items for yourself, but just like truly original things that you're not going to find on other websites.
0: Yes, Uncommon Goods is the best. You absolutely have to check it out for yourself. I also love that they're Brooklyn based. And I feel like now is the time of year where we're all getting bombarded with invites for wedding showers and baby showers. And I don't know, I just feel like my calendar is filling up with events. And Uncommon Goods is a great way to pick up a really creative and personal gift,
1: especially for that couple that already has everything. Yes. We talk about them all the time, but something that's actually quite new for me is that I love the kids gift section on their site. So I feel like probably like 60 or 70% of my friends here have kids. So I've been getting invited to more and more kids birthday parties. I feel like I'm a really good gift giver, but this is an area that I am a little out of touch in. They just have so many cool ideas. A gift that I loved a lot was this light up drawing tee. So it's just like this cute, comfy, t-shirt but it has a special luminescent ink panel on the front so any light source like think of like a laser pen or a flashlight is going to leave a glowing mark on the shirt which turns it into temporary art. So the shirt comes with like a mini light wand on a lanyard so kids can easily doodle anywhere on it but then the lines gradually fade away so the shirt becomes a blank canvas in like five minutes. So it's just like endless entertainment for kids I know with my nephews I give them a present and then they've done it so I love that this fades away in five minutes because they have to do it they can do it again That's cool. Is there an adult version? Man, there should be. I think we'd have a lot of fun with that.
0: There should be. I also love how many experiential gifts they have. They have a lot of things that are kits to make something food related or booze related. So there's a lot of fun like cocktail kits or bread making kits or kind of any kind of kitchen experience. And I love that because it's something that, you know, you could gift to a couple to do together And it's also something that you know just isn't going to sit in a cabinet the same way that it's like, oh, like I'm getting you this special glassware that you're never going to use. So it's a really fun place to find interesting gifts that are a little out of the ordinary.
1: Yes. And something that I think is really cool, kind of along those lines that they just launched is called Uncommon Experiences. And you can choose from live online classes in mixology, cooking, flower arranging, like even embroidery. And each experience is taught by handpicked artists and experts. We love
0: that Uncommon Goods looks for products that are high quality, unique, and often handmade or made in the United States. And with every purchase you make at Uncommon Goods, they give back $1 to a nonprofit partner of your choice. And they've donated over $2 million to date.
1: Yes, and we have a code for you. So to get 15% off your next gift, go to uncommongoodscom BOP. That's uncommongoodscom BOP for 15% off. Don't miss out. It's a limited time offer. Uncommon Goods, because we're all out of the ordinary. Let's get into the interview. Emily Henry is the number one New York Times bestselling author of People We Meet on Vacation as well as Beach Read and several young adult novels. She lives and writes in the Cincinnati area, and Becca and I are both such huge fans of her books and so happy to have her join us for book club today. Welcome,
0: Emily.
2: Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much. I was already saying this to you all before we started recording, but I am so happy to be here and also like a mutual fan of yours.
0: I was saying before we started, I feel like I know you because of your Instagram story. So it's always weird when you meet somebody, but you feel like in your head, you already know them. And I'm like, oh no, this is a stranger.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I know that's becoming such a like weird integral part of life now, where like sometimes you see someone even out in real life and you're like, about to say hi, and then you're like, oh, we don't know each other.
0: Yeah, like, be cool. We don't know each other.
2: (laughs) Like, I do know that they were at their nephew's birthday party three days ago, but actually I am a total stranger.
0: (laughs) Well, we're so excited to talk to you about this book. This book was absolutely one of my favorite books that I've read this year so far, And it is just such a perfect summer read. So we're so excited to talk to you about the origins and the characters and everything.
2: Thank you so much. That's really nice to hear. I'm like, you know, obviously that's pretty much what I was going for is like the perfect summer read.
1: So I'm happy that I hit the mark.
0: Well, I don't think we're the- did. I was going to say, I don't think we're the only ones that think that because I've seen this book everywhere
1: literally everywhere. And I'm not usually a romance girl, but Becca was like, I think you'll really love this one. And so I picked it up and I could not put it down. I loved the characters. We're going to talk more about it, but it was just such a departure from a lot of the romance novels that I've read, at least. I found it so enjoyable.
2: Yeah. I think that's kind of what I now am trying to do with almost everything I make, where it's like, I want it to be like the gateway romance novel. I want it to be like the a book for people who don't normally read romance um, to kind of, yeah, just like find an entry point into the genre um, and to kind of scoop up readers from a couple of different places. And, um, you know, sometimes when you're doing something like that, you're like really narrowing your audience because you're getting more and more specific. But this is just like one of those books, I think that instead has really like widened its reach. And it's really, really, really nice to see.
0: Yeah. So wait, set the scene for us because I, I want to know when you were writing this book because I read oh it <laughs> in January and it felt yeah. very cathartic to me reading it in the pandemic when I couldn't travel and I couldn't figure out based on the timeline if this was something that was written in quarantine or if this was written pre-quarantine.
2: Yeah, I think it it feels so much like an exact reaction to quarantine, I think, but it actually was written before um, COVID hit. And it's also like Really nice to hear that even reading an early copy in January that it felt cathartic because like I said, we wrote, I wrote this before COVID was like a blip on anyone's radar. But then by the time we were editing it, we were already like deep into quarantine and my editor and I had a lot of conversations about like how to finesse it so that it would feel like vicarious travel and happy and like, you know, hopeful and not feel like salt in the wound of just like, I hate this book because I have been stuck in my house for a year and we also didn't know where things were going to be by the time the book came out. We didn't know like, well, things have more or less gone back to normal. Will we all be vaccinated by then? Will we be seeing like all, you know, these new variants that have totally changed the game? And so hearing that you had a good experience reading it in January is like sort of a pleasant surprise to me because I feel like we still didn't know what to expect in January. Maybe we're just getting started with this horrible new way of life.
0: No, it was great. I hadn't been on a flight since January of 2020 and reading it. I was like oh my god this is it was what I wanted to be doing but it felt it did feel happy and it didn't feel like salt in the wound at all
1: I couldn't agree more and I waited to read it so I didn't read it till late May and it was funny because I didn't know where it was set or anything I, I knew it was about travel but I read it and I was in Palm Springs so it was so perfect that's amazing yeah Yeah. It made me, it it was just like the happiest book. And then I was on a trip. So I was like even happier. Yeah. I think, you
2: know, like I was saying, like not knowing what, what the scenario would be that the book would be coming out. I was so thrilled that it came out after people had started getting vaccinated, at least here in the U S like, you know, when people could actually conceivably be planning trips. And I, I think even the people who weren't ready to travel yet were ready to start thinking about traveling and like making those tentative flight arrangements and all of that.
1: Totally. Yeah. Wait, so one of the things I personally loved about this book, and I know Becca did too because Becca and I have talked so much about this book on our own, was Poppy as a character. So we know from your Instagram that she's a lot like you, but you also said that you were worried people wouldn't respond to her. Why was that?
2: I think there were a couple of different things. The first thing is Poppy's emotional arc in this book is so much to do with burnout and with Um, just sort of having met a lot of her goals and achieved her dreams and then having this feeling of like emptiness or what now or dissatisfaction. And I think, you know, when I was writing that it was before Beach Read came out, but I knew Beach Read was probably going to do fairly well. Like it was just kind of lining up in a way that it seemed like, okay, people are going to find this book. They're going to read it. It's going to go great. Um, so I knew (laughs) that when people came out, it would seem like it was me saying or I I worried it would seem like it was me saying I achieved all of my dreams like you know thank you for buying my last book but like I'm not happy or something like that (laughs) like I just was worried that people would think that Poppy was a brat or that she was spoiled because I think if you're, if you're somebody who's really striving for your dreams still, and you're working very hard, you know, I remember what it was like to be a, an aspiring author and to be in the query trenches and just like, you know, crying myself to sleep and just thinking like, this will never happen for me. And this is excruciating. And I would, I would just like do almost anything to be able to be publishing and sharing my work and whatever. I remember those painful feelings. And I think that sometimes when someone who has kind of gotten what you want like shares their like complaints or their struggles with that thing it can feel like a slap in the face in some ways and i was really wary of making anyone feel that way and i was also yeah just worried that people would think like this girl is so spoiled like she has it all she truly does have have it all she has the dream job that she's wanted forever Um, she's got an apartment that she can afford and really likes and lives in the city that she wants to live in and has a good friend there and and has a loving family, all of that. And I think for people who haven't really been to that place of depression or dissatisfaction or whatever, it's so easy to look in from the outside and be like, this is, you know, why aren't you happy? And I kind of talk about this in the like behind the book essay at the end of the book. So I won't just like go deep into that, but The whole concept for this book really did come from a phone call with another writer friend. Um, And it was before Beach Read came out and she and I both had these very mid list quiet careers where we had some devout readers but we weren't like household names by any means. And you know, we weren't like raking in the dough as it were. And it was just like really a labor of love that also was a labor of (laughs) like misery a lot of the time. And we were talking Um, on the phone like when I was trying to figure out like what I was going to work on next and I asked her like do you ever feel like you have like there's nothing more to want from publishing and what I meant by that was even though I hadn't like hit any bestseller lists or earned out any advances or really I hadn't gotten any starred reviews at that point I don't think like I just hadn't really gotten any of the trappings of a quote-unquote fancy writing career. But I had friends who were much more successful than I was. And I saw their struggles and I saw um, their dissatisfaction and that nothing, it's not like once you reach this level, everything changes in your life. And as my friend Brittany Cavallaro puts it, like you emerge coated in gold, like an Oscar statue. And you're just like, I can fly now. It's very much like you meet your goals. And then you have that feeling of like, okay, this feels good for a day and a half. And then it just leaves this hole in you. Like you can't fill yourself up with external affirmation. Um, So yeah, when I was talking to this friend, she immediately knew exactly what I was talking about. We both were like, yeah, like our careers are pretty modest, but we know now what the fanciest of fancy careers feels like because of our like close friendships with people in different positions than us. And we know that that's not going to magically like fix anything. It's not going to... um, You know, cure our like diseases. It's not going to like make our skin glow, all of that. And at that point, you kind of realize like the writing really is the thing that matters and that has always mattered and that will always matter. And nothing is ever going to top that feeling that you've had from the very beginning. So, all that to say, (laughs) very roundabout answer to your question. I thought people would think that Poppy was not appreciative of what she had. And instead, what happened was. A whole lot of 30 somethings read the book and were like, yes, exactly. I like got the thing that I thought I wanted and I spent the first 30 years of my life working toward. And now I have this feeling of now what? Or even scarier, what if this isn't even what I want, which is what Poppy's going through? Like, what if, what if this thing that I built my whole identity around doesn't make me happy anymore? Like, where does that leave me?
1: Yeah, I related to it so much. And I think Becca probably could too. I think both of us when we were like in our early 30s, we had these careers that we were so proud of. I know I wasn't – I felt just kind of empty and like dissatisfied. And I feel like Becca probably could say similar things. And now we're both kind of doing very different things. I wouldn't say that. I think I I just I fell accidentally into something else.
0: But I do think that like that feeling of being in your 30s and achieving the things that you thought were really cool and then being like, well, now what? Yeah. Is really relatable. I I wonder how I would have felt about this in my 20s. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I, I did. I loved Poppy. Yeah. I thought she was ultimately really relatable for me.
1: Yeah.
2: I've been like I said, I've been really, really pleasantly surprised. And I think because of that response. I'm now having so many more conversations, not just with readers, but with the people that I'm closest to and realizing that we all have had this very similar um, like fluctuation in life. And the funny thing is when I was writing this book, you know, I was in my, I don't know if I was 29 or 30 when I was writing it. I was in my late twenties or early thirties and my mom and dad were in their late fifties or early sixties, I guess, early sixties. And I was watching my parents go through the exact same thing. And I guess that's sort of like the Saturn returns of it all if you're into astrology, but they were really going through the same exact thing of like, wow, like we, you know, if we're lucky, we have like 30 more years of life left. Like what, what happens if you just suddenly want something totally different than what you've built? And I think a lot of people just kind of hunker down um, even much earlier than that and just commit. And they're like, well, this is who I am. But I I think the one thing or one of several things that have been so good about The weird pause that quarantine has forced us into is the way that it's made so many of us reevaluate our lives and ask like am I living where I want to be living? Am I seeing the people? I want to be seeing am I spending my time and money the way I want to be spending those things um And it, it just really kind of brought a lot into focus and I mean yeah, I remember, so I've been having conversations with all these, like, artists and writers I'm friends with, and um, my friend Hallie Bateman, who is a illustrator and writer, um, who everyone should follow on Instagram, it's at Haleth Bates, um, she shared something, I think it was in a podcast that she did, I don't remember with whom, but she shared something about how she's been on this journey to think less of herself as a writer, and more of herself as a person who writes, and that really, really has been kind of a refrain in my head because I think that all through my 20s, I was trying to like claim the identity of writer and take myself seriously. And now it's like this renegotiation of, oh, I do take myself seriously. And now I maybe need to take myself a little less seriously and give myself room to be a human.
1: I like that. My um, A friend of mine calls it being a human being versus a human doing.
2: <laughs> yes, that's so real. Like I think, yeah, we're just such a productivity driven Culture, and that's not healthy because you can't always be productive. And when you lose that, you just like are like, Oh, my identity is gone. Like, if I'm not writing, then who am I? And it's like, Well, you're still a person who has these relationships. And that's kind of like what really defines my life is you know, the people that I love and who I spend
0: time with. So I know also from your Instagram that you are a pantser. Yes. Um, well, I guess first, can you explain what plotting versus pantsing yeah. is for our listeners who don't know?
1: I don't know what it is, so you don't tell me too. No, you know. somebody. Somebody else explained it to us once. I can't remember who. It sounds familiar, but I don't remember.
2: <laughs> well, here we go. Here's a little introduction. So plotting and pantsing are names for like the two main ways that people tend to write books. And plotting is exactly what it sounds like. It is kind of creating an outline and a plan for your book before you write it. And pantsing is like flying by the seat of your pants and just kind of starting a book, (laughs) not knowing where it's going or maybe knowing where it's going, but you haven't done any of like the, the work of plotting it out and figuring out every detail of how you get there. And it's weird because it's like, I do think if you're editing properly, you end up with the same kind of book either way, and you shouldn't really be able to tell, but I have this thing where, like, I've realized that the reason that I write is the same reason that I read. I love that experience of dawning realization and surprise and not knowing where a story is going. And so, earlier on in my career, I would often try to outline to like make my work easier and go faster. And every single time I did, I would finish the outline and I would feel so fatigued and exhausted and I wouldn't want to write the book anymore because I would just think I already know where this book goes. I know how it ends. And that took away the excitement of being able to tell the story to myself for the first time. And yeah, I mean, I, I haven't written out the possibility of, of ever writing that way. Like I think it's totally possible that someday I'll have a project that makes sense to outline first. Um, and that I like find the will to still write it afterward. But I, yeah, I really love not knowing where I'm going. It also means I finish a lot of books that are really, really, really bad and don't go anywhere. Like I write a lot of drafts of books that cannot possibly exist. And I don't know until I get to the end. And I'm like, oh, that was not a book. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, So you told us the the seed kernel for this book yeah. like the idea but what did you know about it when you started writing it and like what yeah. are the major elements that you figured out along the way
2: yeah so again like I, I also like kind of want to hear I don't know I don't know if this is if you feel like this is a good use of time but I also want to hear like Becca I know you write um Grace I'm not sure if you write or not but so for me I feel like with drafting it even though there's like that initial kernel there's always sort of this like serial killer cork forward with all of the red thread where it's like I'm thinking about these five things and suddenly they come together and they click into place. And that is that book. And, you know, like every time you read like a publisher's weekly announcement um, for people who are not like, a, you know, aspiring authors listening, that's basically like if you're an aspiring author, you see every time a book sells because you just like refresh your Instagram feed and see people post their deal announcement saying like they sold this book with this plot to this person. And every time you see that, it's like, it's so often that you see a book that sounds exactly like your book and have this like meltdown where you're like, somebody already did it. But it's not like your book because every it's like somebody had one or two of the same elements that you had in mind that looks externally very similar. But when they pull in the other things that they're thinking about, it's not the same book at all. So with People We Meet on Vacation, I had that thought about like millennial on we, basically is what Poppy calls it in the book, this feeling of, like now what, or like purposelessness and just kind of feeling adrift. Um, but I also knew I wanted to write an homage to When Harry Met Sally with this long-spanning friends to possibly lovers dynamic um, between two people who were very, very different. And I also was trying to figure out where to set it and was like, I want it to feel very summary and escapist and you know all of that good stuff. And when I wrote out my list of possible settings, Um, They were all places that I had not lived and had only vacationed. And so I thought I don't really feel capable of setting the book in any one of these places and acting like a local. Like I didn't feel confident. I could pull that off convincingly to people who were actually from that place, but having traveled to all of them, I knew I could pull it off as a tourist or as a visitor. I knew how it felt to visit those places. And at that point, (laughs) <laughs> the final kernel which was I knew I wanted to play with structure clicked into place I instantly had my structure of oh I'll set it over the course of vacations which then immediately told me how these two friends would stay in touch which also gave me space for them to be even more different than I initially imagined with them like having very different lives that just kind of intersect once a year um And then like, I kind of wrote out a pitch that was like a paragraph or two and sent it to my agent. We talked it over and sent it to my editor. And as I was just thinking about it for a couple of days, the very first scene of the book came to me very clearly. And I've never known characters so well, so fast. And I probably, unfortunately never will again. It was just like, I knew their dynamic. I could answer almost any question about them just off like the top of my head. Yeah, it was just like the dream writing experience that then makes every other book afterward a nightmare. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, you said that you'd been on vacation to many of these places, but were any of their experiences on vacation based on experiences you'd had?
2: Some of them were. Yeah, that was kind of why the trips that made it in made it in, in some cases it was because I had like a very spe- specific memory attached to that place and I knew it would be fun to write about. Um, in I'm trying to think. So in the trip to Vancouver Island, um, when Poppy and Alex take a um, they take a water taxi to a little island off the coast, and the water taxi ride is like violently horrible, and the water taxi driver is like talking to them the whole time, but they can't hear anything. Um, and then they happen to like see a bunch of otters like floating on their backs, holding hands and that whole thing was pulled directly from my honeymoon actually oh no way <laughs> yeah so not the part where ben poppy like hooks up with the water taxi driver that didn't happen but that that exact scene where like my husband and i were just like on this water taxi like does he think we can hear him or is he like pranking us like is this a joke that he plays on people and it really was like i had never done a water taxi before so i don't know if that was normal but it was not a comfortable trip it was just like my, I got off of that boat feeling four inches shorter than when I got onto it. So that one came right from that. And also in Croatia, I think there was like, I think I mentioned, unless I got edited out, one of the apartments that they're staying in has like a dead animal in the walls. So the smell is like getting worse and worse as they're there. And that was also based on a real place. I stayed in Croatia where there was a dead animal in the dryer vent and We tried to get someone to come like fix it. And then they were like, yeah, just go out and we'll fix it. And we got back. They just had to open all the windows and sprayed it to the Febreze. And as the Febreze like frittered away, it was like, okay, the dead animal is definitely still in here.
1: (laughs) God. That is so funny. Wait, so now that we're moving towards this alternate non-COVID universe, where would you go on vacation right now if you could go anywhere?
2: Oh my gosh. If I could go anywhere it's like my brain just turned itself off like an overheated like laptop fan at that thought because I right yeah it's just like you're not allowed to think that far ahead you're not allowed to plan that I am going next summer to Edinburgh and I'm really 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 excited for that but I really at this point feel like I would go anywhere like I would go to Branson Missouri happily (laughs) just like take me somewhere
0: I feel that I feel very promiscuous travel wise
2: yeah seriously I mean I will admit, I like when I turned in my book, I immediately booked a trip to Disney World where I was like, I just want to be somewhere very crowded and like like I just want an immersive experience that is not
0: my home at this point. So we talked about Poppy, but I also want to talk about Alex, who's who's kind of a different type of romantic hero. Like he's a little anxious and he's a little quiet and he's not he's probably not your your typical leading man. Tell us a little bit about how you thought about him and how you came up with who he was.
2: Yeah. I love him so much. It really was like, like I was saying, I wanted this homage to when Harry met Sally element. And when I first pitched it to my agent, what I specifically called it was a millennial gender swapped when Harry met Sally. And I didn't know exactly what that would mean, but I knew that I wanted Poppy to be like a little bit more like abrasive in the way that Harry is. And I also wanted her to be less traditional and less of a romantic. Like I think about the ride home in when Harry met Sally and, you know, Sally has just watched Harry, like making out with his girlfriend against the car before they like take off on their trip. But then he's still kind of like lightly hitting on her, like feeling out if something could happen with her. And he's just very like, you know, just not super committed and just open to whatever happens, um, and then winds up in a serious relationship later on in the movie and is, you know, changed by that. But with Poppy and Alex, I knew I wanted her to be the flighty one who wasn't really looking for a traditional love story or, um, a marriage and kids and house in the suburbs and all of that. And I wanted Alex to be the one who, even though he's like very repressed and, um, like, logical in so many ways, he is this secret romantic where it's like he wants that stability and he wants that partnership and he wants kids and all of that. So, that was kind of the starting point. But then, like I said, I wrote this first character and I, or this first chapter, and I just immediately knew who these two characters were. And something I think a lot about, I won't be able to exactly quote it, but I think it was Kazuo Ishiguro um, who wrote Never Let Me Go. And he talked about in an interview about how he's not really interested in writing characters so much as he's interested in writing relationships. And I really relate to that because I think, you know, Poppy was a fun character to be in her head, but Poppy could not shine without Alex or without her family or without Rachel. Like you have to put her with someone and see which role she's going to fill and what the dynamic will be. And I think that that is just always true in romance. It's like the way that you bring your characters to life. And make them feel really real and alive is by completely knowing a dynamic between the two characters. With Poppy and Alex, she has so he is like the oldest sibling and has this protector role in his family. And she's the youngest sibling and the only daughter. And so she has this like little sister complex where she just kind of, you know, is very comfortable nagging and irritating Alex and teasing him and ribbing him and all of that. And she also just kind of like is happy to follow him around like a puppy. And that was a very familiar dynamic for me to write because I am the youngest and only girl in my family. And that's like a dynamic I'm super familiar with and comfortable with. It's like a lot of times if that's kind of what I default into when I am friends with a man is just seeing them like as a a surrogate brother, like immediately and just being like, my job here is to annoy you. And again, like probably another reason why I expected people to find Poppy more grading is just like, I don't know how other people feel about that dynamic. Sometimes I feel myself doing it and I'm just like, why can't you stop? But yeah, I think because of that, it's like, I knew exactly how she would be with him. And I knew he was this, this protector and caregiver, and I knew exactly how he'd be with her. And then it was all a matter of um, not only like showing how they worked really well together, but also showing how those exact roles create friction and problems and unhealth in their relationship and is really like the basis of the obstacle between them and how they have to, um, overcome, you know, their communication issues and all of that to have something that can be healthy when they're both so used to performing these particular roles that don't hold the key to their complete selves.
0: Yeah. You also, I mean, light spoiler ahead. I don't think it's a real spoiler. Yeah. Yeah. You had one of my favorite romance tropes in this book, which was the old, there's only one bed. Yeah. Yes. And I love talking about romance tropes. I'm really curious, what are some of your favorites and least favorites?
2: I love the only one bed. I will tell you, I got an Instagram, I got tagged in an Instagram story last week from someone that posted a picture of my book and tagged me and wrote, can we stop with this one bed trope? like nonsense. It's so like cheesy and cliche and like nobody wants it. And I wanted so badly to just share it and write no.
0: (laughs) That's so rude. I want it. Like I'm raising my
1: hand. I want it too.
2: Yeah, I want it. I mean, and I want it in like almost any genre too, because I feel like even in TV and movies, it's like you can be watching something that is a totally different genre. But if there's a love story, there's often like that element. I feel like in like things that are kind of thrillers or action movies where it's like, For practical purposes, these two people must be very close right now. And I love that because it's just built in tension. And I think so many of the romance tropes that have become tropes, it's because they offer immediate entry points to extreme tension, which is what I think we're mostly looking for. Not this person, (laughs) not the person who tagged me, but the rest of us. Yeah, I love that. And the other trope that I actually didn't realize, because I'm a relative newcomer to reading romance, I will admit I'm now like diehard about it, but it is newer for me as in like the last five years. So I didn't really know I was writing into this trope until someone pointed it out to me. And then I realized I like almost uniformly love it, but the sick bed trope of like some, but one of the characters caring for another one while they're sick. And I think that, you know, again, it's like it creates this automatic tension, but it also creates this vulnerability and, not, you know, not just a chance to see how this character can be caring and loving and generous, but also to see how they are like in the mundane. And I think in a lot of love stories, you know, there are like the big epic moments that are the rain kisses and all of that that are really exciting and fun. And like with people we meet on vacation, they're like literally just going to all of these really fun destinations, but you do want to see a leading couple in a very mundane moment. And I feel like when you do, you understand like what normal life would be like for them. And I also think while writing this in particular, like writing about a woman in her young thirties or her early thirties, like I still really relate to the concept of like every time I'm sick, I feel such deep homesickness and I live like 10 minutes from my parents, (laughs) but I still feel this like deep homesickness where it's like, you just crave that like safety of like, it's not your job to take care of yourself. Like you don't need, you don't have to make the decision on whether you go to the doctor or not. And you don't have to keep track of what time you're supposed to take your medicine and what you should Mm -hmm. be eating and all of that. And you just feel this like kind of like loneliness and this like, Wistfulness for childhood sometimes when you're really sick, and I think for Poppy specifically, who was a character who's really, in a lot of ways, like run from her home and her childhood and past, whatever. That was really important for her arc, regardless of like the relationships arc. It was really important to have her um, kind of realize, like in, in your vulnerable moments, how important it is to have someone that you can count on, whether that's like family, partner, friends, just knowing that someone, you know, you've invested enough into a relationship that there is someone there who will be with you when you need them.
0: Totally. Do you have any least favorite tropes?
2: Ooh. Okay. This, I don't even know that this is least favorite because I'm sure I could read one that I loved. Um, But I have never really understood the um, like best friend's or brother, brother's best friend as, like, a, like, for, I don't know. I've never, maybe, again, because I can only think of, like, my brother's friends who became my friends, and I'm just sort of like, ew. <laughs> um, I don't really get the appeal of that one. I'm sure there are really good ones out there. And also... I have like the more that I live on this earth, the less that I can fathom ever reading a romance about a billionaire. And just like <laughs> he's off the table. Like immediately he is a sociopath. Do not get involved. That's that's oh a my good gosh.
1: Point. That's so funny. I know but Be- I Oh, go ahead. Oh, it's to say I know Becca hates the um enemies to lovers trope a lot. It's not that I hate it.
0: I I don't hate it. I specifically, I think the hating game is creepy. I think is where that comes from that you are (laughs) referencing. That's so interesting.
2: Okay. So here's what I'll say about like the billionaire thing, which I think feeds exactly into what you're saying. With romance, it's so weird because there's so much, like in so many ways, it's like very realistic and keyed into the real world. But there's also like this whole suspension of disbelief that I think is really specific to romance or it feels that way to me. We're like, I actually love the hating game, but I can see like in real life, in real life, if somebody did those things unto me, (laughs) I would like, no, that's not, that's not good. That's a bad situation. And I think maybe that's even the situation with the billionaire books where it's like in real life, yes, every billionaire is hoarding wealth that could be used to save millions of lives. In a book, you're sort of like, he's a billionaire with a heart of gold. And we're just kind of ignoring the like social ramifications of this. And I'm like, cool with that. You know, like, you know, I'll read workplace romances, even knowing that, like, in real life, like, you, you know, your if your boss comes on to you, you're kind of like, screwed at that point you like what do you what are you supposed to do
0: yeah i feel like for the hating game it's like this only makes sense because you've heard her inner monologue so you understand that she's kind of into him but like from a social cue perspective he doesn't know that and what he does is deeply creepy like yes it's the same with the boss trope where it's like okay maybe we know that she is the hots for her boss but he doesn't know that because they've never talked about it so he's just being like a lecherous creep and coming on to her
2: exactly and you're just saying you're just like in that world you're honoring this version of reality where people always read and understand every social cue whereas like in real life that's you know like i don't know if y'all watched the morning show which was so Mm -hmm. good that was kind of like the basis of the plot line of like the Matt Lauer stand-in character, like raping a coworker and him being like, that wasn't rape, you like liked me. And she's like, you were my boss who was being nice to me. Yeah, there's so much where you just have to kind of like tune out a little bit to read a lot of romance, which I'm mostly okay with doing. But I, like I said, I personally hope to not read a billionaire romance. (laughs)
0: Every once in a while, like I can usually suspend my disbelief, like every once in a while, like some particular detail or like, oh, my God, what was the book that I was reading? There was a book that I was reading and the girl's like cocktail that she ordered whenever she went to a bar was a Cape Codder. And I was like, I can't read this book. It was
1: a good book
0: too. It was I a read good book, it book, But I was like, "That's a ridiculous drink to be your like signature yes. drink." Like, I just can't get away. I can't get around Wait, this. What
2: is inside of it? Tell me. What is in a Cape Codder? I don't
0: it's know what that Mary is. Cranberry juice and vodka.
2: Oh, okay. So it's just like a bad Cosmo.
0: Yeah,
1: it's, it's just like a vodka cran. And I'm like, who yeah, drinks right. this?
2: Yeah, I mean,
1: yeah, might as well have been like a screwdriver. Yeah. What
2: was the? What was the book? It's like eyes. Like that's like like you're trying to get really drunk at brunch, but also you have a U.T.I. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. What was the book? I can't remember, but it was the only thing I can focus on. And like the first time she ordered one, I was like, yeah, that's weird. But then like continually throughout the book, like that was what she ordered whenever she she, like was in a situation. These two tastes. (laughs) Yeah. Whenever she was in a situation to order a drink. And I was like, I got it. I can't.
2: Oh, man. I'm kind of that way with certain clothes. Like it's really hard for me to get past a love interest wearing a hat. (laughs) Like, you know, like a baseball cap is fine. But like, if you put this guy in like a pork pie hat, and I say that with like friends who own and wear hats well, but if you put a love interest in like a pork pie hat, or it's like the dead of summer and they're like wearing like a beanie because it's like, oh, he's like angsty. And so he's wearing a beanie. I just, I just glaze over. I'm like, how am I supposed to make this person
1: hot to me? at this point it's <laughs> it's kind of like that moment in sex in the city where carrie says to burger like she can't be wearing a scrunchie like she just can't be she lives in new york now scrunchies are cool again but that same exact thing
2: really is and i really hope that they revisit the scrunchie in the reboot and she's
0: like now i can wear a scrunchie yes i hope so too i don't know where to go next i feel like i have so
1: many questions for you and we yeah we have so many questions i have a question. Can you talk to us about the process of writing a sex scene? Because you had some very steamy, some very steamy scenes in here, as well as in Beach Read.
2: It is, I think, like, that's one thing that, like, reading a ton of romance has been good for me to kind of, like, inure myself to the embarrassment of writing a sex scene. I also will say my grandparents used to read every single one of my books. And then with Beach Read, my grandma read it first and then she like kind of was like to my grandpa like you you might not want to (laughs) to read this one this might make you feel a little bit weird about your sweet emmy and so like he's kind (laughs) of he's kind of taking a pause i think so the first thing is you need to convince yourself that your grandparents if they are living will never read your book okay and then you have to convince yourself your parents and your siblings will never read your book (laughs) you have to tell them they're not allowed to and then they ignore you and read it anyway. but no, it really is like, honestly, it's so much like writing for me in general, the the fact, this like weird trick of having to convince yourself that no one will ever read it while not making that somehow extremely depressing. Um, it's really, really, really hard. I don't know. I... I I think like when you read a lot of romance, you start to realize like which words like ick you out while knowing like clearly not everyone is bothered by this because it's in all of these books. Wait, what are your ick words? I really hate. So I've been reading a lot of historical romance and I love historical romance. I found out. But a very, very, very common phrasing in historical romance is to refer to a woman's cleft. And I hate that so much, I think, because I always picture, like, a horse's – or horses don't have clefts, but, like, a camel's – a camel toe, basically. And I don't know why. It's just, like, that word. I'm just, like, I can't – Wait,
0: I so can't cleft, a cleft. your cleft is your vagina? Oh. oh I thought it was your chin. I was
1: thinking of your chin having a cleft.
0: I, well, I was thinking about, like, a cleft palate, which is, like, having to do no, with your no, mouth. No, that's
2: fine. But when you're getting to like, it's basically like, oh my God, I like can't even say it. It's like, I love reading these books, but I still am sort of like, okay, I'm going to, it's sort of like the, the billionaire of it all where it's like, I'm going to pretend I didn't just see him refer to this as someone's cleft. Um, but it's like, I don't know. I think there's a reason. It's like my, my sex scenes are both like detailed and vague at the same time where it's like they everybody's everybody's so different in what they are like turned on by and turned off by and what they think is really creepy and gross and what they think is like hot and sexy. So it is it is this weird thing where it's like, you basically just have to write a scene that you think is hot while also convincing yourself, no one will ever read it. And I like try, I tend to write the first draft of everything very quickly for this kind of this whole reason of just getting out of my head and just writing the book and not thinking about how people will react to it. And so it's the same thing with, with the sex scenes. I write them very quickly. And then when I'm editing the book, I'll like, you know, clean it up and make changes and whatever. But there really is just a lot of mental gymnastics happening for me where it's like, I just, you know, this scene, it goes here. It's supposed to be here. I like am doing this for the readers who like the way that I write these scenes while just accepting that, that you cannot please everyone. The same as with any other scene in a book.
0: I had the experience this week of we're recording uh our next fiction podcast project and we recorded a sex scene for the first time.
1: Oh my gosh. Um
0: there there are two sex scenes in the project. And, you know, everything else I've ever written has been closed door, like there's no sex. And I went into it, I was like kind of mortified. I mean, they're funny sex scenes. They're not right. like that earnest helps. sex scenes. Yeah. And you know, when we started, I I like prefaced and I was like, you know, I've never done I've never done directed an, an audio sex scene before. And like if anyone's uncomfortable or anything like that. And the actors were such pros. They, like, did not give two shits.
1: Oh, my god! Did not
0: give two shits. Like, at the end, one of the guys – I'm, like, going to get sued for this. (laughs) At the end, you know, we – because it's audio, we we have them make all these extra noises for us to have on file to, like, put in the edit. And I was, like, I need, like, sexual moaning. And so he's, like, you know, sexual moaning. And I was, like, oh, well, wait. I guess, like, she's not really doing anything to you. I guess I need, like – sounds of you eating somebody out and enjoying it and he was like <laughs> oh my God. he was like no problem hold my beer like it was oh like- my gosh that's graphic
2: yeah he's like I, have, so I have the exact prop that I need to make this sound and you're just like don't tell me <laughs> just like don't tell me what's going on
0: it was that's I mean it was, it was they were such yeah. pros it was it was great but I was like there was a lot of like no I I was totally get it.
2: I think about that all the time because I was so lucky to have Julia Whalen narrate the audiobook of both Beatrix and People we, me- we Meet on Vacation, which, like, anytime somebody asks me, I'm like, if Julia Whalen's free, please make it Julia. And, like, she's such a fantastic narrator. So I will listen to parts of the book because it's, like, the only way that I am capable of, like, rereading my old work without, like, wanting to die. Um, but I cannot, I cannot listen to sex scenes that I have written than performed by a fantastic actress. Like I just, I'm glad that it exists for people who can handle that. Um, my threshold for embarrassment is way too low.
0: (laughs) I have a very specific in the weeds question. So I know that the UK version of the book has a different title and cover. Why is that?
2: Oh my gosh. I'm so glad you asked that because I get so many comments and messages and about this exact thing that it's like not worth replying at this point. I'm like, this would take away so much of my writing time if I answered every time somebody asked. Um, so anytime I can like put that out, it's great. So let's see. So, okay. The title very early on, they told me that they wanted to consider a different title. And my assumption Perhaps obviously, was that they wanted something without the word vacation in it, since that's not a word that's used in the UK. But then, you know, they talked to sales and they came back and they said, You and me on vacation. And I think the thinking behind that was they knew they were going to do these kind of like upmarket titles that would look a little bit more um, like book club fiction or whatever, or book not titles, covers. They wanted to have their covers be very like book club fiction and not. Squarely in romance, um, but they wanted the title to then kind of do the opposite where it shows that this is going to be like a very intimate story following two people, whereas people we meet on vacation feels like a different kind of story. And I think, you know, in the US, it's like they're kind of doing the exact opposite thing where the cover is very much that illustrated rom com cover that we've come to like know and expect, but the title, they were kind of trying to pull in people from, you know, different readerships. and. I think, you know, with the cover, it, it was the same kind of decision with b It was the same thing where they just are thinking, they are always asking sales and marketing. Um, they're always thinking about their demographic, what else is on the shelves there. So pretty much anytime you see a different title um, or a different cover for the same book in two different countries that speak the same language, like that's the reason why. It's like their marketing and sales team based on the information they have and their statistics and all of that. Suspect that this combination of traits will like sell the book better. And as someone with absolutely no experience, talent, or interest in marketing, I am like very much okay with that. Like anything that they want to do and that they think will help sell the book, I'm like, thank you. (laughs) Thank you for just making this decision so I don't have to like try and
0: figure this out.
1: That's so interesting. Yeah, that really is. At first I saw it and I was like, is that a different book? Like, what is that? Especially when it's in the same language. Right.
2: Exactly. And I've gotten some of that and they didn't have the exact same release date either, which makes it, I think, even more confusing because I think, I think there will be some people who like ordered from book depository or whatever and got the US version when it came out. And hopefully there won't be too many of those who then also get the UK version, not knowing it's the same book. We'll see.
1: So Beach Read was a pretty big departure from your previous books. And I don't know if you know this, but A Million Junes was one of our really early book club picks. We I loved that book. We both loved that book.
2: Thank you. Yeah, I that was my first introduction to both of you. And that's like what I'm saying. Like this feels like a full circle moment to me because um there were a couple, there were a couple of like book clubs that really I saw like market increases in sales for a book that had been pretty like quiet um, before that. And bad on paper was definitely one where like I saw y'all talking about the book, and there was this little like beautiful bump of people who never would have found it. Um, and then Ashley Spivey was the other one, and and I think about that so much because that was a book that there was um, nobody really knew how to like promote it <laughs> or sell it, and it just didn't go very many places when it first came out. It sort of just frittered away and um having like yeah just having you guys champion it so early on was like very meaningful to me and is why i know exactly who you are and have oh so happy to be a part of this
1: oh that makes me so happy i think we found it from ashley well becca told me to read it but i think it was i think we found it via ashley i don't remember anymore i don't even remember ashley has the best book recommendations
2: she it really is like you will never run out seriously
1: (laughs) truly but um, what inspired you to make the switch from YA to contemporary?
2: Yeah. So it's really interesting, but I didn't know I was making that switch because when I wrote Beat I was between two YA projects. I had just turned in one and um, was, you know, kind of had tentative plans for more. But I wrote it really without any plans to sell it. I wrote it entirely for myself, which I hadn't written a book like that. I mean, honestly, I'd never written a book like that because. When I started out writing, I was able to write like it was for me, but I always knew I was going to be trying to publish. Beach Read was the first book that I like, kind of found my way back to the joy of like making something without expecting anything from it. And I like cannot stress enough how like special that is. Like if you're not publishing yet, but would like to, I hope that even in the excruciating misery of like approaching that, you're finding ways to enjoy that because with almost all of my author friends, we all agree. Like it just never feels quite the same again after you start publishing. And it's great in so many ways, but it also is just sort of like, oh, okay. Like this is not just mine anymore. It's always the world's. So with Beatread, it was so special for me because it was just for me. And I actually didn't tell anyone about it for a couple of years. And then I saw like Helen Huang and Jasmine Gillery and all these people publishing rom-coms and having this like creating really this like renaissance of interest in the genre from new readers who weren't like romance readers already and I like emailed my agent was like oh I think I wrote one of these like a couple of years ago for like funsies basically and so I sent it to her and you know everything everything happened the way that it happened but it really was not like oh I'm leaving YA and I'm writing this different kind of thing it was just I needed a break from the kinds of books I had been writing I had just finished writing A Million June's And, um, for any, yeah, for anyone who's read that book, like, you'll know that it's like a pretty heavy book in a lot of ways. And it just required so much of me mentally and emotionally. It felt like it left me like a wrung out rag and I really like needed something to recover. And also like the world just felt really tumultuous then which is funny because now it's like we're in 2021 it's like don't worry things get worse but in 2016 it was sort of like wow how did we get here and like what is going on and are people as innately good as I used to believe and hope and so Beatread was like very much me wrestling with my burnout and my writer's block but also with this big Shift in my worldview and kind of needing to find a way back to hopefulness and optimism, and um, it was yeah like really this incredible gift to me for the months that I was writing it, and then when it sold, it was like you know I was I was really excited, but I also didn't know if that was going to be like launching a new career or if it was going to just be this like one lightning strike of a book and. Um, My editor bought it in a two book deal. So I knew there'd be at least one more, but I like spent every minute kind of bracing myself for my next book to just be nothing like for no one to care and for it to be a huge flop and all of that. And I remember having a conversation with my publicists a couple of months ago and like, they were like, yeah, every time you would post on social media about how you were like, so grateful for um, how well Beatread was doing and all the support it had gotten and that you weren't expecting that ever again, I would just be like, it better, it like better do as well as Beatreed. It should do better than Beach Read. And, you know, they're fantastic. And they both just, my whole team is incredible and really like worked so hard to make that happen. Um, but I mean, but I really didn't know, like, I didn't know if Beach Read was just this, this break I was taking, like little recess. And then realizing that it found this huge readership of people who really like liked what I do. It was just whole revitalization and like shift in my career. But I think one thing that drew me to January story and that did ultimately lead to the shift was I had been writing YA because I love coming of age stories. And when I got to my mid and upper twenties, I realized like, oh no, it's happening again. I'm Like having a second coming of age and like everything's in flux. And I didn't know to expect that. Like nobody mentioned that to me that like, you would feel like your identity was constantly changing and you would just always feel like a teenager. And I had written a few books about teens and I felt like I had kind of said all I had to say at that point about that stage of life and realizing that there was now all of this new terrain available to me. Um, and these new kinds of coming of age stories was really, really exciting. And I think eventually I will be writing about people in their 40s and 50s. And I I just, I expect my characters to age with me while also like hopefully popping around and telling some stories of, you know, different people who are not in the same stage of life as I am.
0: Well, that's the perfect lean-in for my last question, which is, can you tell us anything about the book you're working on now?
2: I can. Um, when, when does this air? Oh, it airs next week, doesn't it? Yeah, it it? airs next week. Okay. Um, So I can't go into too much depth because the formal announcements will be coming, I think sometime in August, there will be like a cover and a title and all of that, um, an ability to pre-order all the good things. Um, But I had been kind of starting to tease it as like a very loose kind of sneaky homage to You've Got Mail where it's like, it will not read like a You've Got Mail retelling but there are a couple of nods in there that were me wanting to like take that kind of dynamic. It's very book-centric, like you've got mail is. And that was really fun too. I really, really love and appreciate my team letting me just keep being like, I want to write about writers and people who know writers, <laughs> people who work with writers. So yeah, I'm excited. And I will say, I mean, I think it I'm trying to, I'm try, I'm like, how much am I allowed to say? It is sort of enemies to lovers, but I think Becca, you'll still be able to enjoy it. It's like, it's hard for me to take, when I write an enemies to lovers story, it's like, I am very conscious of like what I personally could come back from in a relationship. I'm like, if somebody said something like disrespectful to me about this or this or this, then I'm sorry, this is not going to happen. Like no matter how hot you are, it's just not going to happen. So anyway, it's like my version of enemies to lovers, which is still just sort of like people who rub each other the wrong way, I guess.
0: Well, I can't wait.
1: Thank you. Me too.
0: You have been such a gracious guest. And it was so interesting hearing about the backstory behind this book. But can you do our audience the favor of telling them where they can find you on the internet, remind them the name of your book and where they can get it and anything else you want to support or tell them to do?
2: Yes. Um, thank you everyone so much for listening. If you would like to connect with me online, I am on Instagram. My handle is at Emily Henry writes. I have a website that is occasionally updated with information and FAQs and all of that. And it's emilyhenrybooks.com. My new book is people we meet on vacation and you should be able to get it just about anywhere that sells books. But as always, if you're able support your local indie or my local indie, which is Joseph Beth booksellers, Yeah. I think that's all, right?
0: Well, I'm just going to gas you up for a minute and tell you that your Instagram has some of the best writing advice. If anyone is an aspiring writer, she does writing Q and A's and talks a lot about her own process and I found them so helpful. So you should definitely follow her.
2: I'm so glad. Yeah. I, I love to do that and I will be doing more shortly. So yes, come and follow me and ask your questions and I will do whatever I can to give you the pep
1: talk you need. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today. This was so fun.
2: Thank you so much for having me. This was like, yeah, like I said, full circle moment. So honored. Thank you,
0: everyone. All right, Grace, are you ready to talk about some end matter? Yes. I don't have a ton to add here, so I'm hoping you have more than I do. I don't have an Instagram obsession, but it looks like you do. I will carry
1: us. Well, mine is Amy. Amy Smilovic from Tibby. She has such great styling advice and just like her content is really cool. Her last name is spelled S-M-I-L-O-V-I-C. So highly recommend giving her a follow. What about on the obsessions? Okay. So did you get anything during Amazon Prime Day? No, I worked for
0: 17 hours on Amazon Prime Day. I didn't buy a thing, but I know what you bought and I'm super jealous.
1: Okay. So it's weird because my job is like shopping in some ways. So like I was like plugged into the computer on Amazon Prime Day. And I feel like every influencer over the past couple of months has been talking about the pebble ice maker. And I'm skeptical. Like I was like, did all these people get gifted this thing? And we just don't know. Or is it really that good? I will tell. No, like crushed ice. Like that type of ice is so good. It's so good. Becca, So I bought it like especially with iced
0: coffee. Whenever there's like who oh, coffee bean and tea leaf used to have that kind of ice. I don't know if they still
1: do for their iced coffee. And it's it's so good. It's like getting having your coffee from there. I had it in my coffee today. So Oh, I'm so jealous. I'm jealous because it won't fit. The problem is not that I can't have it, it's that I have nowhere to put it. That's the thing. I have a place to put it now. I wouldn't have had a place to put it in my old apartment. It was it's expensive. It was like over five hundred dollars, but then with prime day it was a hundred dollars off so i was like
0: Hmm. now is
1: my time now is my time to get ice and it's so cool like i have been just like going through so much ice in my coffee like with my water it's wonderful um and i feel so silly like spending that much money on an ice maker and also being this excited about ice but it's the best um, I, I feel like I was just
0: there, but I'm gonna have to make another visit just, just for the ice. Just for the ice? Is that weird? <laughs> no, not at all. Mine is not mine is not a physical thing. I I've just been really stressed this week. And I feel like in the early times of the pandemic, walking was so crucial to my mental health. And I also just feel like I was better about protecting my mental health because you know, we were in this unprecedented once in a lifetime traumatic group experience that was the pandemic. And, you know, so I was very much like, OK, I'm going to go for a walk every day. And that was so important to me. And and since things have opened up and also it's been hot and sticky and like the worst part of summer in New York, I haven't been going on walks as much. And this week I've been so stressed on Wednesday night. We Wednesday night was our Our full day that we recorded, like I was up at seven and we started recording on West Coast time. It was like nine. And I I was recording from like noon to eight. And I just, at the end of the day, I was like, I haven't left my house. Like I haven't really eaten a meal. (laughs) Like I was just like, oh, I'm broken. I was like, oh, I wish it wasn't night. Like I could go for a walk. And I was like, why can't you go for a walk right now? Like, you know. Where we live in Brooklyn is super safe. Like there's tons of people around always because of like the bars and restaurants. Like I was like, I'm just going to go for a walk now. And so for two of the last three nights, I've gone on a night walk and it's been kind of like peaceful and great. And the other thing that I love about going on a night walk versus a day walk is that anyone who has their lights on, you can look in their apartment and you can like see their decor.
1: Okay. You know, Raina loves a night walk too. You guys should maybe. I didn't know that. that. Yeah. She loves a night walk. I mean, I very much needed solo time, but
0: I will keep that in mind for when I'm not so in such a precarious state. But um, yeah, it was like a really stupid realization because, of course, you could walk at night the same way that you could walk during the day. And once I figured that out, I was like, oh, I feel much better now. Yeah, yeah. What about books? Haven't read a page. What about you? Thanks for carrying us in
1: our uh, collective book efforts. Yeah, so, well, I've read, af- so after reading The Push by Ashley Audrain, which we talked about last week, loved it, I read The Southern Side of Paradise by Christy Woodson Harvey, and so this is a series, it's called The Peachtree Bluff Books. I liken, I think that she's been called the El- Ellen Hilder brand of the South. She writes these just, like, really sweet, heartwarming, moving books, and this series is all about this mom and her three daughters, and each book is about one of the daughters. Um absolutely loved it, tore through it. And then I started two books. So for, I'm. it's a, a shorter, but like more like poetic kind of like serious book is The Widow Basquiat by Jennifer Clement. And okay. I have wanted to read that for years and I've never picked it up. What did you think? So I'm only about halfway through it, but it's beautiful. And um, I mean, so he died when he was 27 years old and he's this like amazing, amazing artist. And this is all about his, I guess, girlfriend, but we call her his widow. And she has a fantastic story, too. And I don't know all of it yet, but she's like an unhappy, abused runaway from Canada who moves to New York to kind of start her life over and starts out tending bar and like selling cigarettes and nightclubs and things. And she meets him. And this is their love story. It's great so far. And it's a quick read. Like I read the first... Like it's like small pages and each page doesn't have a lot of text on it. So it it's it's a quick read, but it's beautifully written. And also, it's just interesting to learn more about his life and about her. And then I started. This is a bummer. okay. and I'm going to probably DNF it. I started Where the Grass is Green and the Girls are Pretty by Lauren Weisberger. Did you read this one? I didn't. We requested copies and neither of
0: us got them. And then you requested another copy and um I I didn't get one
1: I feel badly because they sent me this book and this author is one of my favorites usually but I can't I've read about a hundred pages and I just can't keep reading it um is it akin to her other books or is it something totally different it's totally different it's about this these two sisters one of them is a stay-at-home mom and one of them's like this really successful news anchor but the whole angle about the plot is the admissions scandal and I just like, I've watched all the documentaries. I read admission. I like just don't care about that anymore. And I, um, I just, I'm not enjoying it.
0: Oh, that's a bummer. I will, I will tell you, I did not love that devil wears Prada, like the third devil wears Prada book that she released a few years ago Yeah, when they're all adults.
1: Yeah, no, I didn't love that one either. I loved, um, the one about tennis. I, like when life gives you lululemons i think it was called and i've just like generally love her books i love the like last night at chateau marmont i just i'm bummed i wanted to like this and i because i really do like her as an author yeah but i'm i um i asked my readers and everyone was like don't finish it it's bad it, it like people were just like i struggled through it wasn't good so that seems like a good enough indication to stop and pick up something else
0: yeah Well, I I plan to do some reading this week. This weekend, actually, my goal is to take Sunday fully off of work. And I would just love to read a book in a day. I have no plans. I don't want to leave my house. I don't care if it's nice out. I just want to sit and read a book. So hopefully I have... Well, I guess we don't have an episode next week. So hopefully I have a lot to report to you in August. I think
1: our first episode in August, we'll just spend like half the episode talking about all the books we've read. That might be true. I think the first... The first episode might just be a big catch up. I think we're going to have books and TV because so much good TV is coming out in July.
0: That's true, too. All right. Well, if you're going to miss us, make sure you're following us on Instagram. You can follow the podcast at Bad on Paper Podcast and also join our Facebook group. And that's where we'll announce our August
1: book club pick when we know it. And I'm on Instagram at Grace Atwood. I blog every day at the Stripe. I'm taking one week off in July because I'm going to be on vacation with my family. But otherwise, I post there pretty much every day. So there's tons of new content over there if you miss me. And I also do like book lists and all of that. And I'm on Instagram at Becca M. Freeman. And if
0: this podcast is leaving a gaping hole and you're listening, we do have a new season of Rom-Com Pods out. It's called Showmance and it is currently publishing. So go take a listen if
1: you miss me. All right. Bye, everyone. And we'll see you in a month. See you in August.